Hi, this is Faith, and you're listening to Heartsick. This week, we'll dive in with an old friend of mine as she shares her story. It's pretty awesome. I love it. I love you, though. Well, I love you, too. <laughs> I feel like I just keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> I don't know what other Wait. questions you have. No. Does it look like you imagined it when you were that sick little girl now? Um. So here's my sweet Chris. I hope you enjoy her story. Sometimes when I walk through a crowded street or a room, I plug headphones into my ears and I play my favorite songs. The experience of being surrounded by strangers with my favorite music in my ears allows me to walk through the world with a soundtrack. So I am a social worker and a mom and a pretty new mom. 17 months today. It's actually already 17 months, I know. just been running from the idea of being like a patient or being sick um I always wanted to be like the athlete or the student or like successful in work or now like a good mom um and I always tried to like hide attention from being sick a lot like growing up I had a really great childhood in the sense I have really loving parents who showed up for everything like also, when I like from the day I was born through childhood, I had a lot of health issues because I had a kidney issue from birth. And so I always had like I was in and out of the hospital a lot growing up. Which, you know, like something would happen and I'd be really, really sick and they would say it's really, really serious. But as soon as I was told, like, all right, she beat this, she's good, I would, like, run back to life a little bit. I didn't have the internet like we do now, and so when I, when she found out I had, like, these kidney issues and I was really young and just how severe it was, the first time she found out it was kind of likely to be, like, a lifelong battle, I was about four and she went to the library and like read every book she could and tried to learn and restricted my diet and changed things um and i i hated it as a kid because it reminded me that i was like something was wrong with me or something could make me sick but now especially as a mom i look back like she just wanted to keep her baby safe I am a therapist and I am a big believer if you're a therapist you need to go to therapy yourself. Yeah. Um, in therapy that I've always been like I'm not a very touchy-feely person like I don't like a lot of like hugs and touching and stuff mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is because I always had so many hands on me medically wow. without any control of how they were touching me or why and when you're like four and you have UTIs and kidney infections it, like to put it in a four-year-old language it's like I had a lot of people touching my private parts that I didn't understand why yeah um and so because of that I've always been very like you're in my bubble and yeah yeah. and if somebody's in my bubble that I don't trust I get really uncomfortable really quickly absolutely um but through all of that even in the worst moments like 
my mom was right there every step of the way. Um, but yeah, I was actually like just like reflecting on that yesterday, literally in therapy yesterday, um, how perfect timings we're doing. <laughs> this. That's amazing. Being really young, and I don't remember why I had to go in the ambulance, like for this kidney and UTI infection, but I had to get in an ambulance, and mm -hmm. you know they make like. I didn't have like my clothes. I was in one of the like gowns in the hospital, like a hospital gown, and it was freezing cold. And they like strap you to that the uh, you know the bed in the ambulance. And I remember I had to pee like really really bad. Kept telling me like no 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 just go right here on the table, which at that age you're really embarrassed by. Um, and I didn't want to, but I ended up doing that. And all of a sudden there were like all of these people like cleaning me that I didn't know who they were. They were men about six when that happened. And then, um, I remember like getting to the hospital and I had to do this test. I had to do this a lot growing up. There was this test where they would, with a catheter and when you have a UTI a catheter is like really, really painful. They would fill my bladder with like um, like this iodine liquid so they could see it in this test and they would put me on a table and like I was strapped to the table and then they would kind of make the table move where it's like I'm in a standing position but I was oh still strapped Lord. to it and you'd have to pee all over yourself um, because they're watching it go through your body. And one, it was really painful, but all of a sudden my mom wasn't allowed in the room because of just the, like, I think radiation or something. I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But suddenly there were like 15 people in the room. And I said, and a lot of them again were men. And I remember crying and asking them to leave. And they told me it was a teaching hospital. So they needed to let the students be in there. So I'm like practically naked, like peeing all over myself in front of all these people I don't know, who then again, a bunch of people I didn't know started cleaning me and touching me and nobody stops to like tell you what they're doing right. or why they're doing it. Um, and I think a lot of that has kind of impacted even how I interact with people now. Like I'm so cautious about not touching somebody or going or like making somebody uncomfortable because I, I you know especially at that young age you feel violated because you don't know the difference well absolutely you know you don't know that like one thing is okay and something else is not okay you just are like why are you touching me and I don't know why just kind of would get through things but now as an adult I'm like looking back on it and realizing it was probably pretty traumatic for somebody that young and I was always told like my health was really serious and I had to be really careful and it could be life-threatening and um, I mean I don't know many six-year-olds who knew what dialysis was I didn't have to I've never needed dialysis but I was aware that I could one day need it right and at six that's pretty young to like yeah. to even have that fear even to this day, if I smell like hospital soap, I get nauseous. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with a hospital. When you've been a patient a lot, you're really good at advocating for what you need. And that's the most important thing. When I was 12, um, yeah, we were in sixth grade. When you're in sixth grade, everyone kind of knows each other before the harsh realities of middle school. Yeah. Um, so there was an end of the year like carnival, and this had this game with um, called Chubby Bunny. If anyone doesn't know what that is, since it's for 
people listening. <laughs> like every time you you put a marshmallow in your mouth, you say chubby bunny until you get to a point where you can't say it. Right. Um. So Casey, her name is Casey Fish. Um. She put, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was the fourth marshmallow in her mouth. And she started to cough a little bit and she turned to the water fountain to get, to try and get water. And when she came up, her face was getting blue. She couldn't breathe. And, um, there was a friend of ours in the class that he was in Boy Scouts. So he like thought he remembered some of the ways to help people. Yeah. The teacher was amazing, but at the time uh, he stepped out of the room to get something from a different class at the exact moment that that happened. And with obviously how could he know that that was going to happen? All we knew is she fell and she had collapsed and an ambulance came and the carnival abruptly ended. Well, what we didn't know is she had already passed away. Like mm-hmm. she had passed away in the ambulance on the way to mm-hmm. the hospital. Um, so it happened like in front of us, um, in front of a lot of us at least. It was the first time I truly understood kids could die um, in a different way. Everyone knew she wanted to be a teacher. She was so excited and mm-hmm. like we were all, everything was in front of us. Suddenly our innocence kind of got taken from us and so what happened was we all went home that day my friend Courtney who called me and told me that Casey had died more than anything we were just all so confused like it was just really confusing to understand that out of nowhere your life could be over I'm a big believer in like trying to figure out that things happen for a reason and that is one I've never really been able to figure out like it, what's kind of cool is the family did um they were trying to get it and I, i'm not sure if they are the direct reason but now every bag of marshmallows does have like a warning there are currently about 7.3 billion people in the world all of whom are experiencing surviving and hopefully enjoying their own story when sitting in traffic and glancing the car beside me i wonder where is this person going are they happy or sad do they have a big family are they healthy It's been four years, four years since the event, the day that changed my life indefinitely. My heart stopped three times that night. When did you and Mark get married? We got married in October, 2014. And we were, we had just, so like this all happened the following July. So that the spring after we got married, we bought our house. Like I was working my dream job at the time. I was a licensed clinical social worker, which that took, I had to go to grad school in two years after grad school to obtain that. It was huge. It was like everything I was working toward. And I was married to the love of my life. So I was like, we were kind of on cloud nine. On Um, top of the world. Yeah, like just feeling great. And in the spring, I was feeling like kind of winded a lot. And so I did go to the doctor, um, actually just kind of worried, like something's going on. I don't feel right. I was told I was okay, like not to worry and everything was fine. Um, I started getting like nauseous a lot though. Like, and I was kind of throwing stuff up a lot and especially like acidic foods, like it was just making me really sick. 
So I started going to a doctor who, um, he basically told me at the time, like my gallbladder, because this all kind of leads into it, my gallbladder was, um, it looked fine, but like all my symptoms matched the idea of having my gallbladder removed. And he kind of told me like, I think if you have it removed, you're going to feel a lot better. Um, so that like the first time I went to the doctor was probably in like March. Then it was in June that they started talking to me about having it removed. And I've had a lot of surgeries, like I've had my kidney removed, so I am pretty comfortable and aware of what like surgery recovery should feel like. Um, and so when they discharged me and I went home, at first I was just kind of normal recovery. I was sore, didn't feel great, obviously really tired. But the next day I just felt like I had been like hit by a truck, like just felt really, really bad. Yeah. and everything my gut was like I need to go back to the doctor like something's not right I called the doctor and they were kind of reluctant telling me like well you have a checkup in like three days why don't you just wait and I said no you know what I, I really think I need to come in today something is not right yeah um and I remember sitting in this chair in um, our back room of our house and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to get from the chair to my mom's car because um, Mark had to go back to work. So I asked my mom to drive me to the doctor. Mm -hmm. I really had no idea how I was going to get into her car like that, just to kind of tell you that it was like maybe 20 feet. And that's how bad I felt. Like, Overwhelming pain? Um, Exhaustion. Okay. Um, Pain, but... More than that was just exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I felt like I just had no energy to do anything. Yeah, and I um, I still had, like, a sense of humor about things, but I remember, like, telling my mom, like, all right, you got to come take care of me because I can't, I can't do anything without you. And she showed up and, like, helped me get to her car. Four years ago, I completely changed. I heard on a television show once, the biggest days in your life always start out ordinary and you do not know how important they were until they are over. My morning had started with simply not feeling good. I had asked my mom to drive me to the doctor for a checkup as my husband had already left for work. I was so weak, I was not even sure I could make it to my mom's car. I remember the doctor noticing I was short of breath and requesting that I be admitted for monitoring. Still, my mom and I felt calm only slightly annoyed of having to stay at the hospital. I remember heading to the waiting area to be taken to an emergency room while we waited for an open bed. A volunteer at the hospital asked if I needed a wheelchair because as she stated, sweetheart, you really do not look well. I think you will fall over. This is when I started to wonder if things were worse than I thought. However, in normal fashion, upon entering the emergency room, my mom and I continued to make jokes to pass the time. We went into the doctor's office, um, and to be honest, I, I like this doctor had really bad bedside manner, mm -hmm. um, which really frustrated me at the time because I just I've really learned my body and when my body's telling me something. Yeah. And then they checked my oxygen level, which you should be at like 99, 100. And it was like, in, I think it was like in the 60s at the wow. time. So like at that moment. And he asked me to take a breath and realized I really couldn't take like a deep breath. There was, mm -hmm. it wasn't getting anywhere. So he said he wanted to do um, 
like an emergency CAT scan to check my lungs and make sure like if there were clots or anything like that. This doctor had really bad bedside manner. No matter how sick any of us had been in the past, we always shared gr a great sense of humor. The nurse requested that I drink contrast prior to my CT scan. My mom made jokes pretending the disgusting contrast tasted like a milkshake in hopes of distracting me from the taste. In the seconds after I finished the drink, our level of fear would quickly change. It changed faster than I could keep up. I asked my mom to grab a bucket as I knew I was going to throw up the contrast I had just finished. Within the same second that my mom and I shared a look, I said, call Mark, and she ran. I filled the bag with blood instead. I just puked an insane amount of blood. Um, and I saw, like, I instantly was terrified. I didn't know what was going on. And I saw my mom's face just turn white and she just bolted to the hallway to get the nurses. They came in and um, quickly I was in the scan. Like they were, they did the IV um, mm -hmm. contrast, like they did everything they needed to do. Um, and first they, after the test, they took me to just a regular room saying, well, you're going to get admitted for sure. We need to figure out what's going on. We were maybe in that room like five minutes before Several doctors rushed into the room stating I would be transferred to ICU due to blood clots. They would not go into specifics but explained it was bad. At this point, my dad, brother, and maternal grandparents had arrived. Upon arrival to the ICU, I explained to the nurses I really had to use the washroom. They explained it would be too dangerous. What does that mean? I thought, too dangerous to pee? With that, the nurses attempted to help me sit up, but by moving my body, even a matter of inches, caused my vitals to drop and increased my danger of my condition. I did not understand. This was the second time I wondered, how sick am I? Am I going to survive this? In this moment, we were informed that each of my lungs were about 75% full of blood clots. The doctor kept talking, but all I could hear were my own thoughts. Who do I need to call? What have I not done in my life? Where is Mark? Who will take care of my dogs? Who will tell my clients? What do I do? Can I leave here? Do I not want to? Do, I don't want to do any of this. If I close my eyes really tight and wish to be at the beach, will I wake up from this nightmare? No, I'm still here. Are they still talking? What are they talking about? They were. They were still talking. And then I had three, I'll never forget, three different doctors came in that were involved in the case. And at this point, my dad and my mom were in the room with me. And these three doctors showed us pictures of my lungs. And I had 75% of both lungs full of blood clots. So, I mean, normally I'm sure you know, like you hear about one blood clot. Yeah. And people panic. Um, so 75% both lungs. And the three doctors like gave me three different impressions. One said they'd never seen it this bad in their history of being a doctor. One said he saw it this bad once and the person died before they could do any type of intervention. And then the third one said they'd seen it this bad and the person didn't survive the procedure we were about to go do. Each example differed, but they all resulted in death. And so, and I still, like, Mark wasn't there yet. And so I was also just like, I need my husband. Like, I need him to get here. This is when I turned to my dad and asked that he tell everyone. I had a quick urge to call my 
my friend and tell her what was going on. However, I could not breathe long enough to say anything more than, I'm scared and I love you. My mom provided my best friend with the details. Everyone in the room knew that I was likely saying goodbye to my best friend. Suddenly, I was overwhelmed with the certainty that I was going to die today. When I was told I I could die in the next few hours, it was not my life that flashed before my eyes, but rather the life I had not yet lived. I recalled the places I wanted to visit, the children, the fact that I would not be able to witness my friends get married or have children. What would my parents do? Who would my mom and dad be when they got older? The children I knew I would not witness growing up. Who would tell my clients? Do my friends know how much they mean to me? Does my family know how blessed I am to have them as my family? My dogs and Mark. Mark. I'm not ready to leave Mark. Mark and I are not done yet. Um, so then they told me they were going to do this. The procedure that they had mentioned was um, they go through your groin actually and insert kind of a catheter Mm -hmm. um, that goes up through towards your heart and like through your lungs and towards your heart and they were gonna one put a filter that would like that blocks clots from continuing to get like to get to my lungs but then also um, they were going to be directly putting blood thinners like into the veins so that it would clear out hopefully the clots that were there so when you get in this, I, like we, we were rolling toward the room and that's when Mark showed up. Um, and Mark was kind of told, this is a really minor procedure. It'll be quick. She'll be back in the room. No big deal. He understood it, and understood it to be pretty minimal. I perceived it from what the information I got upstairs, which was this might be it. Um, and so I just... We were still kind of making jokes. Um, I told him I loved him. I told my mom, dad, and the other family that was there that I loved them. Um, And then we went into this room. And again, a lot of people touching me that I didn't understand all of what was happening. It was freezing cold. Um, And they start putting this catheter in. And the one, they have to do it on both sides. So the first one that they did was really, really painful but I, I kind of breathed through it. I got through it. It's really uncomfortable, but you, you just kind of do what you got to do. Um, and when they started the second one, I started telling them like, no, something's not right. This hurts a lot more. I was kind of like screaming out to them. Like it, it really hurts. The doctors asked that I calm down, but the nurse interrupted him to explain my vitals had become crucial and paged for support. My heart was stopping. It was the most painful hours of my life. I felt as though my chest was on fire and I so badly wanted to sit up screaming in pain, but I could not grasp the air to scream and the nurses held my body down. And that's when the clots got to my heart. And so I had no oxygen coming in. At some point I became unresponsive. I don't know like kind of the timeline of when I remember things and when I was not responsive a lot of people started panicking in the room and started talking about me like I might not make it and told them to prepare themselves that it was really serious I wasn't responding they weren't sure what was going to happen um I remember like hearing Mark screaming like to come in and he told me he was trying to fight to like get in the room and obviously they can't let him in 
The nurses kept looking into my eyes and saying, just one more breath, just one more breath. I could hear my husband fighting to enter the room, but they would not let him in. I heard the nurse say, we are losing her, we are losing her, we are losing her. And then what I remember next is the room getting really quiet, even though it was kind of like I could hear it, but it was muffled. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I saw my grandfather who had passed away a couple years before that. At first, I felt calm seeing him. I felt like I was home and I could rest. I was so tired at this point and seeing my papu allowed me to breathe. However, in such a painful thought, I realized what my papu could represent and I imagined yelling at him. I do not want to see you. I love you, but I cannot see you. Do not take me with you. My papu responded, breathe, Christina, breathe. As I felt, I felt as though I woke up in the middle of a war. Although every inch of my body was yelling at me to stop fighting and to close my eyes and let go, I kept fighting. I thought to myself, one more breath for Mark, one more breath for mom, one more for dad, one more for Nick, one more for each person that I love, and those people are endless. Just one more breath, and I kept holding on to that. Like, I just need to keep doing just one more. With the thought of each person I loved and fighting to take a breath for each of them, suddenly I survived. I fought. I was able to complete the procedure. I won. I do not usually recognize my own hard work and dedication, but when I fought against my own body in such an aggressive manner, I felt I had no choice but to acknowledge it was a good fight, but luckily I had survived the battle of my life. When I came out of the room, the first thing I did was I saw my mom and Mark and I, and they had been told not to tell me what happened because I probably wouldn't remember it. And the first thing I said to them was, I almost died. Are you guys okay? <laughs> I always laugh. I'm like, what's wrong with me? My first thing is like, are you guys okay? Cause it was crazy in there. It was the first time I felt like the doctors are not why I survived. I, I had to fight like hell. Like everything in my body was telling me to stop. It hurt, I was so tired. It seemed easy to just close my eyes and be done, but I just couldn't. And so I kept like fighting through it and it was terrifying and excruciating and horrible. And then when I got to the ICU, I was in ICU for several weeks and I'd lost a lot of blood internally. So now they were giving me blood transfusions. So you have this like gamble of, all right, she's losing too much blood, so we have to give her blood transfusions, but her blood is clotting, so I also need blood thinners. But the more thin your blood is, the more you're losing. So they were in this really fine like level of like what they had to do. And I had to lay completely flat horizontally with this oxygen mask. I couldn't talk. I didn't have the energy to talk anyway. Fast forward two months and I was able to go home. I would later be diagnosed with PTSD from this event. I had previously experienced several other medical conditions, but this one changed my perspective in a way I'd never known. I was overwhelmed with anger and would often wish I had died that day. Every medical thing I'd been through, as soon as I was told, like, I'm good, I would, like, run back to living life. What more can I get involved in? What more can I accomplish? What can I do in life? And I just, I was chasing after, like, just living life to the fullest. This was the first time that, even as a therapist, like, mental health was my whole world, was angry. Mm -hmm. 
that I survived. I didn't want to live anymore. I, when I got out of ICU, I started to express suicidal ideation and severe imaginations of not wanting to live. I engaged in self-harm in order to feel any relief from the pain I was enduring. I was not myself anymore. I was having 10 plus full-blown panic attacks a day. I was waking up screaming in the middle of the night. I would sustain such vivid flashbacks that it would freeze me in my steps. I would lay in bed for hours crying to the point that I could finally pass out. I would cry to Mark about how I did not want to live. And I couldn't shake it. So, but being a social worker, like I knew I needed help. So I did ask like friends and family to write me letters about why I should live. They love me. Um, and the letters came pouring in from people, really beautiful, heartfelt things from a lot of people helped but it didn't take away from like my really deep depression I, I never felt like anyone understood how dark it got mark had he had a front row seat to it because i would even when i eventually got home i mean i spent months just crying in bed i felt like i was still i also couldn't accept that i wasn't still in critical condition i could still die the hard, the hardest thing to me, and it's something I still have to deal with, is blood clots. You can't see them, yes. and so I found out I had a blood clot. I have a genetic blood clotting disorder, which we didn't know about until this happened, um, called prothrombin gene mutation. And because of that, like I was going to be on blood thinners the rest of my life, but like this fear of any time I, I have a hard time breathing or I'm winded, even if it's in the midst of like a really intense workout, mm -hmm. if it's hard to breathe, I have to calm myself out of thinking, especially the first year I was in and out of the emergency room telling them they needed to check because I would tell them, I get that I might not have one, but I'm going to rather show up here and you tell me I'm wrong than not show up. And I had one like, so that was the other fear, was that I felt like I was never going to live at peace again. I was always going to be scared that it could happen like any day. I was having nightmares every single night. Like I really wasn't sleeping. Um, I kept re reliving it over and over and over again. Um, it was all I wanted to talk to Mark about. Like I kept asking him like, who was in the waiting room? What did people say? What what did the doctor say to you? Like I wanted to understand anyone who was there. I wanted them to keep telling me what happened from their perspective. And some of that I think is because my memory of it, there's parts of it that are fuzzy because obviously I was going through so much. Um, but I also became just obsessed with the details of it and I think part of that was I just needed to understand like what happened how did it get so scary so quickly I can honestly say I'm not I'm not the same person I was before it happened I eventually had to go back to work um, just financially and I was eventually physically cleared I I was diagnosed with PTSD and um, like, it's just cause this kind of all happened in the same period. A couple months after that happened is when my grandmother who I'm named after passed away. 
And my whole family like flew to be with her and they all like kind of went there to be by her side. But because of the blood clots, I wasn't allowed to take a road trip or a flight. And when she passed away, they like the psychiatrist who was like giving me Ativan, like anxiety medication, gave me liquid Ativan for the funeral, which I didn't know was a thing, Um, but it's like droplets that you put under your tongue. (laughs) To tell you that I don't really remember the funeral is an understatement. Like I was, I was very high on Ativan. (laughs) Like Mark kind of, I mean, the whole experience is not like funny because I, I couldn't have loved my grandmother more, but the therapist basically was like, you can't handle death things right now like you cannot process that Mm -hmm. and it was so intense there was no way I could handle it and about two days after she passed away our great aunt passed away I didn't even go to that funeral like it was way too much for me I was really triggered by all of it so the PTSD was like almost getting worse but because physically I was cleared I had to go back to work and being a therapist when you're in like such a dark depression is not one not very ethical and two not easy and I recognized really quickly I couldn't do the work that I was meant to do so I tried my best for a long time and then on a home visit one day like I was going to see a family for work at their house and in the apartment um, parking lot I got assaulted by just a, a man uh, like who was just walking in the parking lot. He punched me in the face to get 20 bucks from me, which anyone who knows me, if he had asked for 20 bucks, I would have handed him the 20 bucks. But the weird thing was Mark like came running to my work to be there and I was not phased at all. I had a huge black eye, but I was very calm. And I think that kind of set into the fact like, man, I'm in a really bad place because this this feels like nothing in comparison to how I've been feeling. So that's when Mark and I decided we needed to just get out of like all of these reminders of what was, had been going on. Because even our house, every time I looked in our bedroom, all I saw was like laying there for hours crying, wanting to die. And that's, I couldn't escape it. So we packed up and moved to Georgia, got a job opportunity and we moved. And it took two years of a lot of hiking, like an insane amount of nature, trauma work a little bit, but more of it I think was we just slowed down a lot. It just became about Mark and I. We didn't really have friends there too much. I made one really close girlfriend there that she was kind of life-changing, re-energized me as a social worker because she's also a social worker. So it kind of brought me back to life and nature. And that's where I got pregnant with my beautiful son. So now it's interesting. Like now I, so much of my life is amazing. Like I look, I am married to the love of my life. I do have the most adorable, happy little boy who nobody told me I could have. Like, I was not supposed to have children. Like, I was such high risk for everything. And the pregnancy was really rough, and like, there were a lot of risks. I can't believe, like, I, we call him our little miracle. And every once in a while, I find myself like, oh, I want 
more. I want another kid. And then I realized like you have to be happy for having what you never thought you'd have in the first place. Like I already have more than I thought I would have. So it's our little family of three, five if you include the dogs. I'll include them. Yeah, yeah, they, they should be included. I've just recently, like, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but I do, like, birthday resolutions. So my birthday was in September, and my, what I always do is I kind of figure out what am I going to focus on for this year. And this is the first time I want to focus on me. Like, I tend to show up for people anytime. Like, people can call me 3 in the morning, and no question, I will be there for them. But I won't do that for myself. And... I'm really mean to myself, like I criticize myself, I am I look in the mirror, I don't say nice things in my head, like I deserve, I think, to be as nice to myself as I am to other people. So that's what I'm like really focusing on, that's why I've been in therapy for myself, just trying to prioritize my own mental health, my own wellness, my own mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm seeing like a really great shift in that. It's pretty awesome. I love it. I love you though. Well, I love you too. <laughs> I feel like I just keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> I don't know what other Wait. questions you have. No. Does it look like you imagined it when you were that sick little girl now? Uh, when I was a sick little girl, I thought I'd be like the first player of the WNFL. <laughs> so none of that happened. My, my second dream was to be an animator, and I'm horrible at drawing. Um, <laughs> but lastly, uh, I think I always knew I'd end up in some type of social work type role. And so that part of it for sure. And now I'm finally like, I'm in a job I really, really love. Um, I work with clients that I really love working with um, in my private practice on the side. And then my life is just filled with people that make me really happy. And I try to keep the people who don't make me really happy at a distance if I can. <laughs> so it's, I think my life's better than like teenage me ever would have guessed because I definitely would not get to marry the quarterback of my 80s football <laughs> movie. <laughs> um, I think I have like the most handsome husband in the world so I'm always surprised that he's there in the morning and then yeah I never imagined having a son like I do so. My mom recently actually this week kind of said something to me that she acknowledges how hard I've had to fight to stay in this world mm -hmm. and that every time I try to be as healthy and I really focus on fitness and always I'm trying to chase after like some new fitness goal and stuff and all of that was that I made a rule that I, c I couldn't control any of the medical things that I faced in my life but I would I never want to face one that I could have controlled so I will always be healthy for myself so that if something happens they can never say I should have done something better um, but that it was out of my hands so I think people seeing that I'm always trying to be as healthy as possible and maybe I'm a good mom that would be nice I don't know well you know mom feels like a good mom you know like we all it's hard. We just have to band together. It's, yeah, I know. It's just hard. <laughs> if we and, could say it's hard to each other, like, problem solved. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But no, we don't, like, ever admit it. I don't know. Well, I see in you a friend 
who has been there through thick and thin. I see someone who gives so selflessly. I see someone who beats herself up when she has this huge empathetic heart that she just passes out so freely. <laughs> and I, I see a survivor. Well, I appreciate that. I do beat myself up a lot. I'm by far my worst critic. You are. Nobody, I don't think anyone's ever said, or like, like as a kid, I used to ground myself. Oh my God. If I Can got, you be my child? <laughs> if, I, if I like got a B on a test, I would tell my parents I wasn't allowed to go out because I couldn't believe I got a my B. My parents were praying for me to get these. <laughs> it's for the, I tell anyone, I'm like, because I've always, like, college and grad school and stuff, like, had a 4.0. And I always tell my cousins who are in college right now, I'm like, no one asks. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Like, don't stress yourself out. They're right. C's do get degrees. <laughs> like, it's not worth it. It's crazy. Yeah. No job. No interviews. Like, so what was your GPA? It's all for nothing. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. Well, thanks for having me do this. It's kind of cool to talk about my story Absolutely. as a therapist I'm always listening to everyone else's stories oh man you probably have the best stories well there people I've come across <laughs> at work have some pretty fascinating stories oh, but, I just love it well, I hope it I hope it gets the message of what you're trying to do yeah thank yeah. you no problem <laughs>